Well, well, I am glad to be back. Um, if you heard, I was in a little. Well, there's no, I've, as I've come to find out, there's no such thing as a little car wreck. So I uh, was at the Pickwell Mall a week or so ago and got got hit and uh, kind of rung my bell a little bit. And but I always thought I was a tough guy, so I wasn't going to let that worry. Wasn't going to let that worry me too much. And uh, when I was uh, when I was young, I used to uh, my cousins and. They're all about six, five, six years older than I was, and uh, in the backyard we used to play football all the time. And they used to—I always thought it was cool because they were going to let me play with them. I didn't realize, you know, that's just so they could pound me into to next week. So I wasn't smart enough to figure that out. But they used to uh, put—they uh, would take life vests and put them on me, like like you know when you go boating. They'd buckle that on there, and I'd be like this, and they'd put a big shirt on, and they'd put a helmet on me, an old, uh, it was a Minnesota Vikings helmet, and I'd run around out there, and they'd just tee off on me, and and uh, for years that, that went on, and they used to call me John Rockhead, and I always thought that's because I was so tough. Well, later on, they come, finally, my cousin said, we didn't call you John Rockhead because you were tough, it's because you were so dumb. <laughs> you just got out there and... I'm like, wait a minute. Uh, so I thought it was pretty tough, and uh, so. But anyways, I that kind of knocked me around a little bit and kind of got my attention. Uh, I'm still a little foggy sometimes, so if I start doing a porky pig or something up here, you just, you know, take out your take out the good book. You know, you just have to go with it. So, anyways. I want to thank the worship team for their uh, wonderful service last week. It's interesting. One of the uh, disciplines, spiritual disciplines that I wanted to talk about was the idea of worship. And worship being a, uh, you know, something as a, as a Christian that we, we learn, we kind of discipline ourselves to worship God. God wants our worship. It was kind of neat to see, you know, how that all worked out. You know, our worship team kind of demonstrated that idea of what worship is and the importance of worship, and uh, I was so very, very thankful for that and uh, the, the wonderful job that everybody did. Today I want to look at the idea of prayer, and prayer as a discipline is something that we do. We, we've all prayed before. Uh, even atheists have uh, found to pray at times. Uh, you know, the old idea, there's no atheists in a foxhole or or anything like that, uh, but it is true that uh, you know all of us pray, and it's something that God wants us to do. And, and as a Christian, it's something we should be in the in the habit of doing. Psalm sixty-one is a, an interesting psalm. Um, if we move ahead here, I think I've got the. Do I have the text up here? Yes. Hear my cry, O God. Attend, or give heed to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. One of my favorite scriptures when it comes to, to prayer. One of the, uh, I remember one of my first Bible verses that I ever memorized. Speaking of which, how are you coming with your Bible stuff? I ask, Everybody bring a Bible. Hopefully you've got your Bible. Yeah, there you go. Hopefully you're, you're learning some Bible may have to bring the Haynes girls up here and 
I'm going to show you how it's done. I think they know a lot of, learning a lot of scriptures here lately. So, but uh, yeah, um, Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God, give heed to my prayer. I can't tell you how many times personally I've cried out to God, dear God, please listen to me. Listen to what I'm saying here, Lord. I've, you know, I have some, some things on my heart, some things on my mind that, that I want to talk about to you. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. I'm in a bad place here, God. And I, I'm really desperate. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Pull me out of this nastiness and set me up on a place where, you know, I can survive, where I can be. Now, we've all prayed for different things. We've all prayed for, you know, God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for our food. And we, we do that a lot. And, and uh, now I lay me down to sleep. Our little prayers like that. But all of us in our life eventually will come to a point where, like the psalmist, we need to cry out to God from a place of real need, not just for, uh, you know, for our benefit, but often for the t benefit of other people. I've often thought about this, this lately. You know, if God answered our prayers, who would it benefit? Would it benefit us or would it benefit somebody else? There's nothing wrong with praying for yourself if there's a, a, a real need. But how often do we pray for a brother or a sister? And so I want to get into this idea of prayer today, and uh, we could talk about prayer the whole year. I mean, <laughs> uh, I don't know how many verses there are in the Bible that talk about praying to God. I'm sure there are hundreds and hundreds of them. But as a discipline, as something we should do, I, I want to make a case for that today, that you know, prayer is something that all of us as, as Christians, uh, as growing Christians, should be about, something we should make a priority. So let's start with, with God. When we talk about prayer, I think it's important that we first think about who God is. And uh, if we move on here, I think, uh, first of all, the Bible makes it pretty clear God is a being. Uh, God is not the force. Uh, all you Star Wars fans, you know, I, I love Star Wars, but God is not the force. Uh, God is not uh, some alien thing out there. God is a, is a being. Um, and that's critical, I think, to prayer because it means that God is a, is, is a person. And we're created in the image of God. And that means God, to me, is a person, somebody that we can interact with, that he has a will of his own, and we're able, at least on some level, to, to relate to him. Now, we can't relate totally to God and, and all that he is, but God wants us to be in fellowship with him. He wants us to have relationship with him as a being he desires that we have contact with him, that we come into, into contact on some kind of a meaningful level. Okay, so God is a, uh, is a personal being. He's not an it. He's not a, a thing, uh, a force. I mean, God is a, is a being. You know, if he were impersonal, you know, prayer would not be all that meaningful if he was just like the force or something like that. Uh, but he's personal. If, um, 
you know, if he was an impersonal God, he would be uncaring, he would be distant from us. Prayer wouldn't really serve any kind of a purpose. So I think as we, we think about praying to God, think about the fact that God is, he's a person. Now, not a human being, of course. We're the created ones. He's the creator, but we're created in his image. Not only is God personal, but he's loving. Thank you, God. I mean, when I was in high school, we would have Greek mythology class. It was an elective. So we're reading about all the Greek gods and the Roman gods. A lot of those gods were pretty grouchy, vengeful, up to no good. I'm thankful that my God is a loving God, a God who wants to be in relationship with me. That's important as we think about the idea of prayer. If God was a, a personal God, a personal being, but, but he was unloving or unkind, prayer would probably do us more harm than good. A friend of mine, uh, his father used to beat him. And he used to talk about how he just stayed out of his way. I mean, he'd come home, I'd go to my room. He would come here, I would go there. I didn't want to be around him. Couldn't take that. All right? My God's not like that. Sure, if I screw up, uh, like uh, Adam and Eve, I, I want to hide from him sometimes because I'm embarrassed, because I knew I messed up. But I know that my God is a loving God. God is not only loving, he is all loving. In relation to prayer, that means that God always desires the best for us because he loves us. God does not want somewhat less for us. He's not out to stick it to us. He wants what's best for you. Now, like most of you, I've had things happen where I question God. What do you... This is not good. Why am I going through this? Why am I suffering through this? Why has my health degenerated? Why is this relationship not what it should be? Why is this in my job not working out the way that it should? I thought you loved me, God. I, I, I didn't think I was supposed to have these, these problems. But the Bible makes it clear that God not only loves me, He is an all-loving God, there's not anything I can do that will make him stop loving me. There's nothing that you can do to make God not love you. He loves you. He's, he's, that's just God's nature. That's the way he is. God is also all-powerful. We call this uh, omnipotence. There's a big fancy uh, religious word for you there. Christians sometimes throw those words around and, you know, to those who aren't Christians yet, they're like, what? <laughs> I don't want to be a Christian. You've got to learn too many fancy vocabulary words and stuff. I don't think I want to do that. But God is omnipotent. That means he is all-powerful. He can do anything. Meaning that no prayer is beyond his ability to answer. Luke chapter 1 verse 37 says, for nothing is impossible with God. If God were less than all-powerful, 
then we wouldn't have any kind of assurance that he could answer or even hear our prayers. If I thought that God, look, maybe God's not really all powerful. If I believe that, why pray? God, on the off chance that you can handle this, because I don't, you, you might, there are things you probably might not be able to handle. I'm going to take a chance here. Dear God, now the God I believe in is all powerful. He can do anything. For nothing is impossible with God. I can already see some of us starting to, you put all these together and you get a lot of, but, 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 but. We got an all powerful, all loving God who wants the best for us. I got a problem with that. Uh, we call it the problem of pain. If God's all-powerful and he loves us, well, why does this happen? Why do, uh, why do good people die? Why are things unfair? There's something there that, that doesn't quite compute. We'll, we'll, we'll look at that. I think the fact that God is also all-knowing he knows everything. That's significant to the concept of prayer. And if God were limited, then he wouldn't, wouldn't know all that's happening in his creation. If that was the case, he might overlook our prayers because they might be beyond his, his knowledge. Maybe God forgot about it. God doesn't forget things. He doesn't misplace things. I can tell you how many times uh, Neola will, will say things to me and I'll either not hear it or forget it. And I'll be like, what are you just going to, well, I told you. How many times have I, I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot, didn't write it down, lost it. Thankfully, my God is all-knowing. He doesn't forget. There isn't anything that he doesn't know. The Bible is clear that God knows Knows everything. If we turn to Psalm 139, I don't have this one written down, so I'm going to get there. Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit, uh, sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. You are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue. Behold, O oh Lord, you know it all. You've enclosed me behind and before you laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I can't attain it. It's almost as if the, the psalmist, as he's writing this, he's realizing what he's writing. He's like, ah, this is just too... This is beyond me. I don't understand all this. I don't understand how, God, you can know everything. It's just, whoa, that's amazing. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If, my, if I make my bed in shoal, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. And your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light 
are alike to you. God knows everything. There isn't a place you can go that you can hide from him. There's not a secret that you can keep. There isn't a need that you have that God is not aware of. The Bible is clear. God knows everything. Matthew chapter 6, verse 8 says, Your father, Jesus was, was speaking, he says, Your father knows what you need before you ask him. So you put all that together, and it's like, wow, God, God knows a lot of stuff. He, he's a pers person in a way, and he wants a relationship with me. He's all powerful, and he's all loving, and he knows everything. But the Bible goes on. God is more than that. He's also wise and holy. That means he knows what's best for us, as well as what will lead us to holiness, rather than sin. Some of the things I've prayed for in my life, I'm convinced, would have led me to sin. God knew better. God knew better. God is active and alive in, our, in his creation in a personal way. One of the things in... Um, People always, at school, they'll hear me talking about God and stuff in class. They're like, this is public school. You're not allowed to talk about God in here. I'm like, well, I, I teach history, so I, I kind of got an out there. I can you know, work his, historical things in there a little bit. One of the things that they used to believe about God, especially during the time we call the Enlightenment, is that God was a, he's an impersonal God. He's like a clockmaker. He, he set the universe up. He got it all together, and uh, then he, like a clockmaker, he winds it up, and then he lets it go. Once the clock starts running, the clockmaker doesn't mess with the clock anymore. He just sits back and watches it do its thing. And for a long time, people taught that that's what God was like. He got the, the universe going, and now he just sits back and he watches. Let's his creation just run like a great machine. The Bible makes it clear that God is active within his creation in a personal way. He intercedes. He comes into this created world because he wants fellowship with his people. He's involved in the life of everyone. He wants to be involved in your life. That means all this together means there's no prayer too great for God there's no prayer that's too small for God. God wants us to pray. There's no way we can possibly go over everything that God is like here. But uh, one important thing that we can't forget is, uh, besides being wise and holy, is the idea of God is sovereign. There's another fancy religious word. What does sovereign mean? It means God can do whatever he wants. He's sovereign. God is supremely in charge of everything that happens in, his universe, in, in this universe. It's so easy to flip on the news and go, things are out of control. 
And it would appear that way to us created beings. Some of my atheist friends, they kind of laugh at me. Some, and they never don't laugh. We don't have that kind of relationship. They, they love me. I love them. We have a, but they kind of roll their eyes, you know, when you know, I suggest you know, things are a part of a greater plan. God is sovereign. Because I believe nothing takes God by surprise. And I believe that nothing happens in our, in our own lives without the knowledge of God even though we don't always understand his, his actions. Isaiah 55. If you have your Bibles, turn there. This might be one you'll want to mark. I know, some people think it's blasphemy to write in the Bible, but my, my Bible's all marked up. I got all kinds of stuff in there. Anyways, Isaiah 55 Verses 8 and 9, and I often go, come back to this when I feel like God is being unfair, that he's not giving me a break, when I don't understand why something's happened. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Nothing takes him by surprise. And it's very, uh, um, how do I want to put it? Very unique of us, I guess, to assume that God should always conform to our expectations. God, you should do this. God, you should do that. I mean, you're a good, loving God. Why didn't, you, why didn't you do this? God is sovereign. God will do what he does. That's a principle, I think, that new Christians, they don't like. Non-Christians laugh at. And it takes a lifetime and a life of experience to start to understand what God's sovereignty really is. Because as all of us know, things happen in life. It'd be nice if every time something bad happened, I could just say a prayer and poop, God take it away. But we know that's not the way it works. We're looking at uh, what prayer is not. Okay, we want to pray to God, and I think we understand a little bit now what God really is. If we move ahead here, uh, prayer is not magic. We can't summon God as though you were a genie in the bottle. You don't take your Bible and. Dear God, you know, uh, I, I got a, you know, I got a, I got a prayer for you here. He's not the genie. He's not there waiting to grant our wishes without our regard for, you know, the circumstance we're in or, or the consequences we're in. So prayer is not like, you know, you put a quarter in, you hit the thing, get a gumball out. Okay? It's not magic. Prayer does not make demands. God expects us to make requests. But I don't think that they're demands. Hebrews chapter uh, 4, verse 16. 
says, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, there's that short little verse. There's some important principles there. You got a need? You need something? God expects us to pray to him so that he can do what? Give you grace and mercy to deal with it. Not to take it away. Lord, I, I have cancer. I have a heart thing. I have this or that. God, please take it away. It's natural to want to pray for that. And God wants us to pray those things. But God is more interested in giving us mercy and grace to sustain us through those times. Prayer does not make demands. God does not take orders from us. God is interested in giving us mercy and grace to give us the power to deal with it. Again, that goes back to the idea, wait a minute, John, you get this all-powerful, all-loving God who knows everything. Wouldn't a good God take away all my the bad things that happen? Wouldn't a good God allow us to live forever and, and not allow our loved ones to die and, and, and all of these things? God is interested in giving us mercy and grace to withstand those things. Prayer is for our benefit. Not God's. We need a relationship with God, available, of course, through Jesus Christ. But primarily through, through prayer. That's the best way for us to, to build the proper relationship with God. Prayer is not a guarantee against suffering. When I was uh, young, my, uh, I got lucky. Very lucky. My grandparents, my aunts, my uncles, they all lived into their into late age. I wasn't into my late teens, into my 20s before they all started to go. I know many of you lost your grandparents. You didn't even know your grandparents. They, they died before you were even on the scene. You didn't even have that chance. The first real experience that I ever had with what you might call real life. Neola and I had been dating for a year and her mother was diagnosed with cancer. It was a shock to everybody. And that year was a rough year. We watched her get sick and eventually she died. And I remember we prayed and prayed and prayed that God would do a miracle, that God would take away you was suffering. God would take the cancer away, and God would do all of this. And we struggled with that. You know, you're all powerful, all loving God. You, you want us to love you, and here's somebody who loves you, and you're allowing them to suffer. That's for the first time is when I learned that God despite the fact that he loves us, and he is all-powerful, that's not a guarantee that we will not suffer in this life. And I remember thinking, how unfair. 
How unfair! Dolores was 49 when she passed. I just turned 49. And I'm thinking, 49 years went, man, that was pretty quick. I'm planning on another 50 at least, or maybe more. I don't, I don't know. I'm not planning on going anywhere anytime soon. But understanding that prayer was not a guarantee against suffering. But I'll tell you this, throughout that period, God gave us mercy. He gave us grace. He gave her grace. Grace that I've never seen before until the day she died. I've never seen someone with such great faith and belief in God and an expectation that I will be in the kingdom of God. Sure, cancer is bad, and I'm going to die. But my God is all-loving. My God is all-powerful. My God sent his Son into the world to save me out of this world. I've never seen someone with such grace and mercy. So what is this idea of prayer? You know, it, it's a great opportunity for us to, to build relationship where we worship and we talk and we communicate with God. If God is a person, if he is real, through our prayers, we build that relationship. One of the funniest things I ever see in high school you know, with young kids is they'll talk and talk, you know, a boy to a girl, and then they'll get together, and, and then they just stop talking to each other. I'm like, what the? Well, you two are like, we used to call it going together. I don't know what the kids say. You know, oh, we're talking. We're talking to each other. Well, anyway, uh, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of talking going on between, you know, people. I always get a kick out of that. I was horrible as a, as a young husband. Uh, I tried to do little nice things, you know, for my girlfriend. And, and then we got married. And then after we got married, it's like, oh, forget all that stuff. It's like, wait a minute, you know, what's, what's going on here? So I see kids in the hallway, and they'll be like, all oh, lovey-lovey. And I'm like, ah, marriage will fix that, <laughs> you know. So anyways, let's move on. Uh, what is prayer? Of course, it's a, it's a relationship. I just want to give you a few examples today. We know what prayer is. We, we champion prayer in this church. We spend a lot of time praying about different things. If we move on, I'm going to give you a ex- uh, couple of examples of when people should have prayed and didn't. Five times biblical heroes should have prayed. Eve, when she was tempted in the garden. Whenever we're tempted, it might be a good time to pray. I don't recall her asking God, you know, God, uh, you know, the, the serpent's telling me these things. You know, I just was wondering, is that real? I'm sure God would have straightened her out. No, no, they don't have time to pray about it. What else do we got? Oh, Cain should have prayed when he was angry. You remember the story, uh, you know, Cain and Abel obviously took different paths, and uh, you know, uh, Abel had found God's favor, and but Cain uh, was, was angry about it. 
king lost his temper, and of course he attacked and killed his, his brother. I know many times in my life I've gotten in a lot of trouble when I was angry. Maybe if I would have stopped and prayed about it and said, you know, God, you know, I mean, God knows. But just that idea of, of, of fellowship with God for that moment. God might give me the grace and the mercy to make it through that situation. What else? Oh, Abraham. Yeah, when he was, he was frightened. If you know the story of Abraham, he, he had, took his wife and they went through the, took off and were traveling around and they often ran into to different uh, people. And Abraham was scared. On two occasions, Abraham pretended that his wife, Sarah, was only his sister because he feared what powerful men would do in order to take her away from him. If they think she's my wife, they'll kill me and run off with her. But if she's just my sister, well, they'll take her anyways, but they'll leave me alone. Gee, thanks, Abe. Way to go, you know. Maybe instead of taking it upon himself to work out some kind of a weird uh, solution there, um, maybe Abraham should have prayed, Dear Lord, I am scared to death. You've asked me to come out, <laughs> you know, and I, I'm traveling in the wilderness, and there are some people here that I am, they terrify me, and I'm scared. How can I handle this? Psalm 56, 3 says, When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. What about, uh, let's see, next one. Oh, Moses. Moses was kind of going through the motions a little bit. The great deliverer, Moses, had led his people out of slavery. They're out into the wilderness. He prayed through the Red Sea. He got them out there, up and down the mountain, the Ten Commandments. God was keeping the people alive. They got to a place called Kadesh, where the Bible says Moses' sister Miriam, she dies there, was buried. We could come back to that. I don't think that's such an insignificant thing. I think his sister played a huge role in keeping Moses kind of calibrated the way he should be. But the people complained about the lack of water. And before, you know, Moses had always, you know, God said, look, strike the rock and the water will come out and the people can drink from it. So Moses just said, okay, you guys are thirsty? Fine. I'll get you some water. And God says, well, we're in a new spot. Speak to the rock and before their eyes and water will pour out. A little difference there. Speak to it. So Moses walks over with a stick. Whack, whack. And he hits it twice. Well, God blesses the people with, with water. But that was a huge mistake for Moses. He's going through the motions. He got lazy. He got sloppy. All of us tend to do that sometimes. You get lazy, you get sloppy, you start going through the motions. Oh, the people are hungry, they're thirsty again. Whack, whack, hit the rock. Oops, God told me to speak to it. Darn. Long ago, there used to be a fellow here by the name of George Rye. I really love George. He, he told me a story once when I was real, real young. He goes, he goes, you know, when you go to work for the boss... 
If the boss says to pick up a bottle of Heinz ketchup and throw it through the window, you better make sure it's Heinz. <laughs> I thought, wait, what the? Oh, yeah, you better do what you're told. I don't know about you, but I find myself going through the motions a lot. Maybe I should stop and pray. Maybe I should ask God, what can I do better? Then last, uh, another example, David. He was uh, having, it it was a fantastic point in his life. King David was riding high. He established the capital there in Jerusalem. They brought the ark back. Trashed all the enemies. In fact, 2 Samuel says the Lord gave David victory wherever he went. What happened next should serve as a warning to us that when we're, we're riding high. You understand the story, I'm sure. If you're not familiar with the Bible, David got, was up on, uh, on top of his place there in the palace and he's dancing around. Yes, you know, I'm unstoppable. I'm a, I got everything. I'm number one, baby. And he looks down and whoa, there's a, there's a hottie taking a bath down there. Hmm. He, he starts looking, and of course that led to a case of murder, uh, infidelity, all kinds of problems. Isn't it amazing how when things are, are going along so great, boom, that's when <laughs> usually the wheels fly off the bus. I think of that lots of times. Sometimes I, I almost worry about it. Things are going along pretty good. I'm just waiting for something's going to happen here. Even when things are going really good. As the Bible says, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. You know, and these stories just kind of scratch the surface, I think. Uh, and I think it would probably be helpful if we revisit this again next week and look at a little bit prayer, a little bit closer. Especially the idea of the, what, what we call the problem with pain. Because I know many of you, like me, have suffered through things where you're just like, in my head, I get it, what the Bible says about God, how he loves me, he knows everything, he only wants what's best, God is in control, why does this happen? I think that's the great question that many Christians struggle with, many Christians look at, and I think it would help all of us to maybe look at that. So next week, we're going to continue this idea of prayer. We're going to learn a little bit more about what God has to say about his nature and what it means to be a Christian and how he, he desires us to pray. He wants us to come boldly before the throne so that he might give us, give us grace and, and mercy. Let's pray. Father, I think about some of the things that the Bible said. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Lord, teach us to pray. People were in prayer constantly. Pray continually. Over and over and over again, your word asks us to pray to you. Help us to understand what this really is. How desperately you want fellowship with us. How desperately you want to give us your mercy 
and your grace. Not always to take situations away. God, we love you. Give us mercy and grace this week and every week as we draw closer to you and learn more about what it means to be your children. In the name of Jesus, we give thanks. Amen.